I want to talk to you today about feeling the father love of God in your own heart for yourself. The word of the Lord this week, and he confirmed it supernaturally. So we're going to start in Revelation 1. This is verses 4 and 5, John addressing his letter. And he says, Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth. John addresses his letter from God the Father and from the seven spirits of God and from Jesus. Some of you are very familiar with that phrase. Others of you didn't know there was seven spirits of God. You're like, I've only heard of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Well, the seven spirits of God is one of the descriptions of the Holy Spirit. And I hope to explain that to you in just a little bit as we go through here. But I just want to point out to you how often that gets used. Revelation 3, verse 1 This is Jesus speaking in his letters to one of the seven churches. And Jesus says, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write these things, says he who has the seven spirits of God. So one of the names of the Holy Spirit and one of his uh, identities is the seven spirits of God. And Jesus says, I have the seven spirits of God. Uh, When John sees him as the lamb who looked as if he was slain, it said the lamb had seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. Jesus has or owns or embodies the seven spirits of God. I don't think Jesus is in heaven right now looking like a bloody lamb with seven eyeballs. Um, it's all spiritual metaphor, but, but John says Jesus has the seven spirits of God. And then in Zechariah 4, the prophet sees the throne of God in heaven, and he says before God is a seven-flame lampstand. Standing in front of the throne of God, it says the seven lamps are the seven spirits of God. Whatever that may be, whatever that is, there's seven spirits of God and they're represented by eyes or lights or flames. And Revelation 4 verse 5 says, And from the throne proceed lightnings, thunderings and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. So John sees the same thing that Zechariah sees, a seven lamp stand. And that's a Jewish menorah. Seven lights on one stand. So it's one spirit, but seven spirits. You with me? Just like our God is three in one, we have one God. There is only one, but he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit then is seven, but one, because that's one, but seven. Most menorahs, the center stand is a little higher than the rest. And then the three arms, there's an inner arm and a middle arm and an outer arm that come out like this. That's how the Jews represent the seven flame lampstand before God, before his throne. We're told, the Bible tells us there's this seven spirits of God represented by this lampstand. And Jesus says, it's mine. The seven spirits of God live in me. So I want to be like Jesus. So I want the seven spirits of God. Amen? Okay, if you know your Bible numbers, you know that seven just means completion also. So Jesus has the full Holy Spirit. And we want the full Holy Spirit. But what, what does seven spirits of God mean? I have asked the Lord for years. What does that mean? I don't understand that. I've even taught on it in our weeknight Foundations of Spiritual Life class. And in the internship, I have a lesson on the seven spirits of God. Recently, the Lord... Just led me to this passage in Isaiah chapter 11, and, and it answered everything I needed to know. So I'm going to share it with you. 
So here we go, Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah is writing 800 years before Jesus about the promised Messiah that's going to come. And he says, the Messiah will be a shoot come up from the stump of Jesse, and his roots a branch will bear fruit. Speaking of Jesus, Jesse is the father of David, King David. So Isaiah prophesies, God says, from the line of Jesse, which means the kingship of David, will come out of this stump, this tree that looked like it got cut off. And the royal line was cut off. There were no more kings. He said, but I'm going to, there's going to be a branch grow out of that stump that you thought was dead, but the root is still alive. That's Jesus. He's royal. He's the son of David. But he, he came out of a tree that looked like it had got chopped off. There was no more kingdom of Israel. There was no more house of David. There was no more line. But God says, out of that stump, after it gets cut off, you know, you can cut a tree off several times and it just keeps coming back. It, and it's about Jesus. But let's see how God speaks of Jesus, how Isaiah prophesies. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. How many spirits are there in that, those two verses? Seven. Seven spirits are in Isaiah 11.2. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of power, the spirit of knowledge, the spirit of the fear of the Lord. The spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of power, the spirit of knowledge, the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Those are all the roles and identities of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And as the Jews represent it, represented by the menorah. So the center stand that everything hangs on is it's the spirit of the Lord. He is one, but he's got the inner arm. He's He's got the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of understanding. And then the middle arm, the spirit of counsel and the spirit of power. And then the outer arm, the spirit of knowledge and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Spirit in the center with six wings. Remember Isaiah chapter 6, he sees the flaming seraphim in heaven with a center body and six wings. With two they cover their face, with two they cover their feet, and with two they fly. So the Holy Spirit has six wings also. That's not my point, but that's really cool. We're moving on. And his delight is in the fear of the Lord. Okay, keeping, finishing the passage. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide with what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy, and with justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness the sash around his waist. That's all a description of Jesus, who's the coming Messiah, seven or eight hundred years after Isaiah prophesies this. Jesus has, the Messiah has all these spirits. Isaiah doesn't know who the Messiah is going to be, but God prophesies through him. We know who it was. And we can see Jesus had the fullness and the completion of wisdom and understanding and counsel and power and knowledge and the fear of the Lord, right? Jesus is the completion of all of that. Which one does he highlight? Which one does Jesus like the most? Which one's his favorite? He delights in the fear of the Lord. Jesus' delight is in the fear of the Lord. For some reason, Jesus emphasizes the fear of the Lord. So the New Testament tells us that Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit without measure, meaning there's no limit to the Spirit in his life because he's not limited by lack of faith or by flesh sinful nature like you and I. Jesus had the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And here's the seven spirits, and his favorite one is the fear of the Lord. 
So that means Jesus feared his father more than anyone has ever feared their father. Jesus had the perfect fear of the Lord. And not just, he, not just that he did it perfect, but it was unlimited in his fear of the Lord. He's anointed without measure. He feared his father without measure. We know that he is the son of love himself. God is love. Jesus is God's son. Jesus' dad is literally love. So do I need to prove it to you from the Bible that Jesus is the best loved son in the world? Do I need to pr- Okay, their father-son relationship is completely perfect. Right? I mean, even those of us who have a really great father-son relationship or a father-daughter relationship, I am certain we cannot even begin to imagine how much God loved Jesus and how much Jesus loved his dad. Perfect relationship. He is the most loved son in history. He's the most obedient son in history. They have the closest father-son relationship that's ever existed because he delighted in the fear of the Lord. Then his father loved him without limit. Now, when we talk about the fear of the Lord, people start to get nervous. Like, am I, I, I'm already afraid of God, Mitch. I don't want to be more afraid of him. I need you to convince me that he's loving and merciful and gentle and kind. And then others of you are like, well, why would I need to fear him? Because he is loving and kind and gentle and merciful. And if he's going to forgive all my sin and I'm not going to go to hell, why do I need to be afraid of God? All right, when the Bible uses the phrase fear of the Lord, you need to know that the, the word in Greek in the New Testament for the fear of the Lord is phobos. It's the word phobia. It means terror. The terror of the Lord. So, I'm not going to back off from that. I'm not going to weaken that, the word of the Lord by dumbing down what it means to be, to fear the Lord. I mean, it, it means to be terrified to disobey God. But if Jesus in a perfect, loving, father-son relationship is full of the fear of the Lord, it isn't a bad thing. Hello? If it's Jesus' favorite thing, then it isn't a sinful, I'm scared of my dad because he'll beat me. It isn't that. Hello? So when the Bible uses the word fear of the Lord, it does mean fear. We should be scared to disobey God because bad things happen when we do. But it also means respect, to respect God. It also means to honor, to honor God. Um, It means a desire to please. Like I want to do things that make God happy. Because I love him, not because he needs to be kept happy, but because I want to please him. Because he's a good father. Um, To fear the Lord also means uh, I desire not to disappoint him. I desire not to make him angry. It also means that I submit to his authority. And I recognize that he's in charge and I am not. All of that means the fear of the Lord. But basically you could could boil it down to translate, to fear the Lord means to respect God. To give him his place of authority and father and submit to that. And I'm scared to disobey. That's the fear of the Lord. Jesus delights in the fear of the Lord. It's his favorite thing. So obviously it isn't bad scary. It isn't abuse. It isn't control. It's perfect. 
So the, Isaiah 11 says, Jesus delights in the fear of the Lord. Delight is not a word I use on a daily basis. I don't ever use that word unless I have to read it in the Bible because it's a silly word. But only because I'm an adult. Delight means to like something. It means that it's your favorite. It means joy, but it means giddy joy. Like my picture of delight is, is the six-year-old kid finding out he gets to go to Disneyland uh, or whatever else is his favorite thing. And he's just jumping up and down and squealing and clapping and just being a kid who's really, really, really happy. That's delight. And those of us who've grown up, we've learned to subdue our emotions and not show that. And we're more uh, mature. But Jesus got giddy excited about fearing his father. He delights in the fear of the Lord. He desires it. So I want to be like Jesus. I want the seven spirits of God. I want the fullness of the Holy Spirit in my life. If Jesus says my favorite is the fear of the Lord, then I better make that my favorite. I better find out what is the fear of the Lord, and I better not just do it, I better delight in it, if Jesus does. Whatever the fear of the Lord is, is good for me, it's healthy, it's right, it's not scary in the bad sense, because Jesus loved it. And he is the most loved son in universal history. And if I want to know, the, I want to feel the father love of God, I want to love God like Jesus loved him. And they're in this perfect circle of Jesus respects his father more than any other son ever has. And his father loves his son more than any other father ever has. And Jesus turns that around and obeys his dad more than anybody else ever has. And his dad is more pleased than any other father ever has been. And they just keep loving each other over and over and over because he respected his dad. He got to feel the approval and the love of his heavenly father. You with me? So, if I want to be like Jesus, I need to know how to get there. How do I find the delight of the fear of the Lord? Here we go, Hebrews chapter 12. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons, for what son is not disciplined by his father? And daughters, you can think the same thing. If you are not disciplined, and everyone does undergo discipline, then you are not true sons. Moreover, we all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them because of it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. No discipline is pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Jesus respected or feared his father more than anybody else. He delights in the fear of the Lord. Check out that verse and tell me what creates respect. Discipline. Your earthly dads disciplined you, and we respected them because of it. None of us have a perfect earthly dad. Some of it done it really bad. Some of them are pretty close to pretty good. Nobody's done it perfectly, but to whatever extent you respect your dad, it's because of discipline, not because of the money they handed out, not because of the sports games they took you to, not because of the vacations they paid for. 
because of discipline. You feared your dad. Some of you, that was a sinful, scary, terrible thing because of who your dad was. Others of you, you know what I mean when I say it's right to fear your dad. I did not want to disobey my dad because when I heard dad's belt buckle and that leather whip through his belt loops, I knew I was in trouble. <laughs> and I feared my dad because <laughs> I had just done something I should not have done. And it wasn't sinful and it, wasn't, it didn't break relationship. It created respect. Hello. So, if Jesus respected or fears his father more than any son ever has, and it's discipline that creates respect, Jesus is the most disciplined son in the history of the universe. You see it? Did Jesus ever do anything wrong? No. No. He didn't do anything wrong. Was God ever for a half a second mad at his son? Never. Yet, he is the most disciplined son ever. If he is the most respectful son ever, he's the most disciplined son ever. So when God brings discipline into your life as your heavenly father, it does not mean that you necessarily did anything wrong. And it does not mean that he's angry with you. He may be, because you know you've been bad, and so have I. And the verse says, don't get mad at God when he punishes you, because you know you deserve it. But sometimes it isn't punishment. Sometimes it's just, I need to teach you a lesson, daughter. I need you to learn this, son. So hard circumstances are going to come. And it's not because I'm angry with you. It's not because you did anything wrong. I love you. So, I'm going to make you do this thing that you don't want to do. I'm going to make you do this thing that is hard. Jesus was never, ever punished. He was, God, his father was not for half a second ever angry with him at all. He is angry with us when we sin, but it, it says the Lord's anger is just a flash, and then it's gone, and he's back to mercy and love. And I've experienced the anger of the Lord when I've messed up, and I knew it. I knew he was very angry. But it didn't last very long. And then he's back to loving me and reassuring me and forgiving me and teaching me how to do it right next time. Amen? But if Jesus was the most respectful son ever, then he's the most disciplined son ever because this verse says, your father, your earthly dads disciplined you for a little while as they thought best. And we respected them for it. Painful discipline creates respect when it comes from a fatherly authority that is real love. The Bible talks about Jesus having to learn obedience. Like, well, Jesus never disobeyed. Yeah, but he hadn't obeyed either because God cannot sin or be tempted to sin. Jesus had to be put in a body where he had a choice and he had to learn to obey. It's dad's job to bring pain. Both your earthly dad and your heavenly dad. It's dad's job to bring pain on the backside. Larry Stockstill says, it's dad's job to bring the board of education to the seat of higher learning. <laughs> and God did that to Jesus. And he does it to us. And it resulted in Jesus fearing the Lord. And it results in us fearing the Lord. 
No discipline is pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Discipline produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. Discipline produces peace. Discipline produces peace. Sarah and I have had a conversation many times watching exasperated, exhausted parents chase their little kid around and keep saying, no, 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 or they're following around making sure they don't touch anything they're not supposed to, or the kid's throwing a fit and they're trying to bribe the kid with candy or whatever, and we just want to, you don't have to live that way. You can have a peaceful home if you'll just pop them on the backside six or eight times a day. They will learn. Your kid does not have to run your house. Mom and dad can run the house. Our kids never threw a fit in the grocery store like you hear in Walmart uh, once in a while. That never happened because we didn't allow it. At home, we don't allow it in the store. Discipline produces peace. You do not have to have a bratty three or four-year-old kid. It's, just not, it's not a thing where, well, that's just the stage they're going through. I mean, sure, kids go through stages, but discipline produces peace. And righteousness. So how is Jesus the most, how is he the prince of peace? How is he the most righteous person ever? Discipline produces peace. So the Lord told me very plainly um, just a couple days ago that quite a few of you who don't have peace in your heart, you have depression or anxiety, crippling social fears. It's because you weren't disciplined by your dad. Because discipline produces peace. And I don't mean that he didn't discipline you at all. And I'm not blaming your dad. And you're not going to get to either. Um, and it's not the answer to everyone's social anxiety or, defear, or fears or, or depressions. But our world is so messed up. Because we have just no discipline in families anymore. And we're four or five generations into it. And even the oldest people in the room, you don't have 10% of the discipline that your great-grandparents got. You read old history books, you'll find out what it was like in school for them and with their at home and church. And, and we, we know nothing about discipline because the family is just so broken up and kids are allowed to eat whatever they want and spend their time however they want and they're just handed money and, and given things and there isn't any discipline and, and we just have, we're about four or five generations into we're just completely lost and we're total brats and we do whatever we want and all of us, when we were kids, were taught to rebel by our music and our movies, and, and the parents are clueless as to how to do it, and, and it's resulted in no peace. We're, we're the most anxious, depressed, fearful generation, the weakest generation in world history, because our dads didn't make us do hard things. When my kids were five and six, I would make them go pay the bill at the restaurant. I mean, obviously, I gave them the money, but I would make them go do it to interact with the cashier and the waitress. I would make them answer the phone and teach them to, to interact with an adult on the phone, and, it, and they, they hated it. They were terrified to talk to an adult, but I made them do things that were hard or scary for them so that they could overcome it because we got a generation of 35-year-olds that weren't made to do hard things when they were 5 and 15, and now they still have crippling social anxiety. I don't know how to talk to people because nobody made them do it when they were 6. Discipline produces peace. Discipline produces righteousness. I want peace in my life. I want righteousness. So I should expect God's discipline to make it happen. 
Is it going to sprinkle magic Holy Spirit dust and make my anxieties disappear? He's going to make me do painful stuff that I'm scared of doing that I don't want to do. Or he's going to not let me do the things that I want to do. And he's going to say, no, you cannot do that. And you're not used to that because very few of you had parents that actually told you no. You think they did when you were 16. You remember a lot of no's. But really, comparatively, no. It is dad's job to bring painful discipline, and it results in respect. So this verse says, who ever heard of a dad that doesn't discipline his kids? I have. Millions of them. Millions of completely bratty, undisciplined five-year-olds and 25-year-olds and 45-year-olds who never got any discipline from their dad. I, I read that verse and I think, God, are you joking? What do you mean? Who ever heard of a dad that doesn't discipline his kids? We all have. Everybody has. But God says there is no father that doesn't discipline his kids. So what does that mean? It means there's a lot of people out there who are not fathers. Because a real dad brings pain to his kid's backside. I know that scares some of you because you grew up in an abusive situation. And if you did, I'm sorry. That's not what I mean. Because I'm talking about God and Jesus. Imperfect father-son love. I'm talking about me and my heavenly father. I'm talking about me and my dad and me and my son and my daughters. And I'm talking about loving, caring, safe relationship. But when they do something wrong... They're getting it on the backside. And I do too. And I did from my earthly dad and I do from Father God. And it's just, it's, it is life. Because discipline creates respect. But there's a lot of dads out there who don't. And that man isn't fathering his kids. We have a lot of absent bio fathers who are just one night stand or short relationship and the kid doesn't ever even know the dad. Or... Mom and dad were together for a while or married for a while, but then because of adultery or divorce or whatever, dad isn't in the picture anymore, and I wasn't ever disciplined by dad or loved by dad very well. Or maybe a wicked mom chased dad off. That isn't talked about very much, but it's at least 50% of the cases that it was mom's fault that dad left, and he just couldn't take it anymore. And the kids don't know that. Maybe dad was around but he's absorbed in his own priorities, his own work or building his own business or his car or his boat or his hunting or whatever it was, and he didn't actually train or discipline his kids, and, that, and you're the kid. And, but whether you're 14 or 34 now, you didn't get what you needed from dad. Or maybe you, your dad just used you as an outlet for abuse and anger and perversion. And if he did, I am truly, truly sorry. This is not what God is like. But there is another option. Maybe your dad just didn't discipline you because he gave up on you because you wouldn't ever receive it. I know a lot of dads who have just given up because I'm tired of fighting my kid. Sometimes they give up when they're five. Sometimes it takes till they're 19 I'm just tired of this battle. Fine, go do your own thing. I'll see you in jail. Very, very few of us have had a genuinely loving, 
and teaching dad who also brought pain and fear. So very few people understand God because that's God. I love you. I forgive you. I'll teach you the right way, but you will fear me. And I will bring pain in your life to teach you the right way. And if you fight me, I will fight you. And I will never quit. I will never give up. I will win. I see all those looks. Receiving discipline from dad is the key to respect and the fear of the Lord. But you didn't have a dad that did it right. None of us did. Some dads are pretty great. Some are pretty terrible. But none of us had a perfect dad. So a lot of people, because dad didn't do it right, I don't, I don't know how to picture God. Because I either picture God as this clown that's handing out cotton candy, because that's what my dad was. He was just the happy guy who gave us sugar to keep us happy. Or I see God as sort of this saccharine Santa Claus that just just buys stuff and gives it to me. Or I see God as this uninvolved, distant authority figure, and he provides for me, but we really never talk. I don't know him very well, um, and he's unapproachable and too busy for me, and I just need to stay out of his way so that I don't get chewed out. Or I see God as this sort of dad coach who means well and wants me to do well, but he's a little over... Uh, over demanding and he yells at me when I do something wrong or I see God as this hovering stifling criticizer that I can't even breathe when I'm around when he's around because I'm not perfect if that's what you had as a dad that's that's what you had or maybe you see God as somebody who just beats you for fun because that's what you were was the whipping kid the relief for all my problems are just God taking out his sadism on me. Because our picture of our dad is what defines our picture of God. But I'm here to tell you this morning that Jesus had perfect love for his dad. His dad had perfect love for him. And he feared God more than you do. If you want to be like Jesus, you have to delight in the fear of the Lord. If you delight in the fear of the Lord like Jesus does, then you will begin to feel love for God and feel love from God like you have never imagined. If you put God in that place of ultimate authority and respect, like I do not want to disobey you, I want to please you, I want to do it your way and I'm not going to fight you and I'm not going to resist, I'm not going to rebel, I'm going to obey what your word says, God. You will feel the love of God like you've never imagined was possible when you fear the Lord. But in order to properly fear, from it, fear Him, you've got to receive the discipline that Jesus received, which was the cross. Which is why Jesus said, you can't follow me unless you take up your cross, because that's where I'm going. Because I'm going to take up my Father's discipline. In order to receive God's discipline, you have to trust that He is love and that he is good, and he's not there to abuse you. He's not there to ruin your life. He's there to make you into who he made you to be, to guide you to heaven. But you also have to believe that pain is good for you. And I don't mean all pain. There's a lot of really bad pain. But discipline is painful. Otherwise, it isn't discipline. Whether that's a spanking or on the sports court, you know 
it ain't doing any good unless it hurts. Come on. The parent that pops their two-year-old on the diaper and they don't even feel it ain't teaching them nothing. And if you're out on the sports court and the coach is making you run those suicide sprints and you're walking through it, it ain't doing no good. When it starts to hurt, now we're accomplishing something, right? With fasting, with exercise, with diet, with limiting, self-controlling your spending, it ain't doing any good unless it hurts. Pain is good. I know you're really excited that you came to church this morning. <laughs> like, man, I wish I was camping this weekend. I didn't need to hear this sermon. I don't mean all pain. I'm just a painful discipline when it's done for the right reasons and the right attitude. You know your coach loved you. Come on, your coach that ignored you and didn't get in your face and scream and yell and push you to go harder, go harder, go harder. He didn't care about you because you weren't his star player. He cared about the other people. But what did he do if you or one of the others was a star player? He or she is in there, go, 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 drill, 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 run, run, run. And he's making you go till you puke. Like, why are you picking on me? I'm not picking on you. You've got the goods. You can do this. I believe in you so much, I make you hurt more than the rest. Same thing with the dad. If he doesn't care, he's going to ignore you and leave you to do your own thing. He'll let you play video games all day, let you run the streets. But the dad that loves you is paying attention. And he's going to butt your head and spank your butt because he's paying attention, because he loves you, because he knows you're better than this. You got what it takes. So I'm going to make you do the chores you don't want to do, and I'm going to make you face things that scare you and make you do hard things. I'm not going to let you get away with even little things. We're going to talk about it. We're going to correct it. Hear me right. I don't mean the dad that's nitpicking, nitpicking, nitpicking until the Bible says dads don't exasperate your children. That's wrong. Just pick, 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 pick on every little thing, always pointing out what's wrong. It just kills a person's spirit. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about real love, real concern, real care. I'm going to be hard on you. So we want to be like Jesus. We want the fear of the Lord. If we want the fear of the Lord, we have to embrace his discipline because discipline creates respect. Amen. Amen. You got to reject rejection. You got to get it out of your heart and your mind. Never, ever, ever, ever listen to any voice that tells you God has rejected you or doesn't love you. You got never defend yourself, though, against your conscience or the Holy Spirit or the Word of God. You got to be correctable. Don't try to sneak off from out, under, out from under God's attention so that you don't get into trouble. And don't try to talk, tell God, well, I'm okay. I don't need to get in any trouble. I don't need discipline because I'm all right. I'm doing okay. Just embrace it. Delight in the fear of the Lord. This is the key for knowing the love of God as your Heavenly Father. It really is, is to embrace the fear of the Lord. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer. You don't have to pray anything you don't mean. Uh, if you've got questions, we can talk afterwards. But I just, want to, I just want to give you some words to pray to God to embrace the fear of the Lord and receive His Father love into your heart, just like Jesus. So bow your heads and close your eyes. And I just want you to repeat after me. Happy Father's Day, God. I love you. I want to feel your love like Jesus does. So I choose to delight in the fear of the Lord. Just like Jesus did. I choose to fear you. I choose to respect you. I choose to obey you. 
I welcome your discipline in my life. The discipline of your word, the discipline of your spirit in my conscience, the discipline of the authorities that you've put over me. I embrace your painful discipline and I respect you because of it. I reject rejection. I reject the lies that you don't care about me. I will not be a hypocrite. I reject perfectionism. I reject self-defense. And I cast out all excuses. I believe that you are my father. That you love being my father. And that you want to love me like you love Jesus. I want to be that close to you, God. I want a clean heart between you and me. Thank you for being my Heavenly Father. Amen.